0: What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky Le Blue, the associate editor and full-time Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com, Welcome you back here to another episode of the TSL Podcast. As always, I am joined by my bosses and cohorts here at TSL, Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Uh, guys, I want to ask you the first question is, what's going through your head when you see Jester Wee, I believe is how you way how we pronounce his last name, running 75 yards downfield with nothing in front of him but... Half-dead te- grass at Lane Stadium.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, wow, what a way to lose a football yeah. game uh, uh, <laughs> on a fake field goal and then that mess. Yeah. And the fake field goal should not have counted, by the way. Yes,
0: also, if you have not seen that, go on com's Facebook page. You can see it there. Our great photographer, Ivan, uh, went in there and took great photos of that uh, and it looks like we've got pretty clear evidence that the ball was on the ground, not in his possession. And,
2: well, and not, even if it was in his possession, they had a lineman blocking four or five yards yes. down the field on yes. the throw. I mean, it should have come back. It, it reminded me of that, you know, uh, what was it, Kevin Everett in the 2003 Virginia Tech-Miami game when they ran the fake field goal? Yep, the late Kevin Everett. Yeah, the late Kevin Everett. Uh, and he dropped the pass on the fake field goal that would have been a touchdown, but it never should have counted anyway because he was ineligible. Because uh, there was a guy covering him up on the outside. So if he had caught that pass and ruled it a touchdown. That would have been unfortunate, you know. And Virginia Tech won that game easily, anyway. So it's, maybe it's not the greatest comparison in the world. But uh, I
0: feel like that's really easy for refs to miss on yeah, the, on a fake because a fake. you're not
2: really looking
0: for there, that there's stuff. There's a lot going on, yeah, lot. yeah,
2: especially in that formation. That uh, yeah, the, 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 well, that the was Pittsburgh. no formation. I still don't, I
0: still don't know what formation that was. Uh, I, well, you, I don't you understand. well
2: you see teams do that sometimes when they're kicking extra points and things like that, and uh, you know maybe they they try to catch you in a bad alignment. Uh, they can force you into calling a timeout. And Fuente said. Uh, yeah, it
0: was said after the game, and even on uh, Monday, he said that uh, he probably should have called a timeout.
2: Well, in right. hindsight, yes, he probably should, but if you call a timeout and then they just come back out and kick the field goal, then You've you just wasted a timeout, timeout yeah. in a yeah. very, very close football
1: game. Uh, and, and you know, depending by how the game ends up, you could come under uh, uh, criticism for that. Yeah. But. What was interesting when he was discussing that was his phrasing. He said he went on the uh, microphone and said to the staff, when Pitt came out there and lined up like that, he went on the mic and said, are we okay? And his comment about that was uh, essentially words to the effect of, I was too vague. Yeah. You know, and actually his whole discussion, all that, you know, and he said he would handle it differently. You know, people need to remember that this guy's only been a head coach for what? This is his sixth season, right? You know, sounds right, yeah. You you even six seasons in, dozens of games, he's encountering situations and deciding, you know, that he should have handled them differently, right? Uh, so I, th- I thought that's interesting. Uh, you don't you don't often, you know, when when Fuente makes a mistake in a game, you don't often hear or think to yourself, "Well, he's still kind of new at this," right? You know, um, so something
2: to remember. And you know, you go back. You know, let's, let's take Frank Beamer, for example. You know, probably when Frank was in the prime of his coaching career, he was around 50 years old, maybe 55 years old. And at that point in your head coaching career, you know, you've, you've, you've seen been just ahead, about everything yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, you, you have not seen anything new at that point. In uh, and and, and most situations, you've probably encountered multiple times.
0: One of the things I want to talk about from this Pittsburgh game that obviously Virginia Tech won on a, on a really heroic, emotional goal line stand, and we will get to that goal line stand sequence there. But to me, it felt like the offense turned a little bit of a corner in this game, even mm-hmm. though they still didn't put up a lot of points. And I know that some people disagree with that, including my father. Uh, <laughs> I want to break it down really quick because I do feel like that there was signs of improvement. We saw Phil Patterson. Maybe, you know, gaining some separation. Josh Jackson should have hit him on that deep ball. That's a touchdown. He'd still be running if, if, if Jackson had put the ball there. Uh, Tech was nine or 10 of 19 on third down. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best on third down I've seen them all year. Certainly the
2: best they've been probably against an ACC team.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also they had 157 rushing yards, which, yes, is slightly above their season average. But that's the most rushing yards they've had since the North Carolina game.
2: Yeah, and it was it was, it was good yardage too. You know, yeah, they were consistently yeah. able to grind out about five yards. It seemed like uh, I know they only averaged three point nine per carry. Well, there, there wasn't an explosive. What do we go back and talk about? I mean, everybody that has a successful running game has explosive plays in their running game. I bet if you look at an Alabama box score, you see a lot of runs that go to three to six yards, and then you see like three go for forty yards. And, but the Virginia Tech has only had one such big play, but the breaded butter part of the running play, running game, worked this week.
1: Well, it, it was a really odd stat line in that the, the only quote-unquote rushes that lost yardage all day were the two sacks of mm-hmm. Josh Jackson. Every other carry either was stopped at the line or was positive yardage and yet they only averaged 3.9 yards a carry. You don't see that very often at all. Yeah, it's really rare. There were two carries for 14 yards. They were the longest. It's just really rare to see a team not back up and yet only average about four yards a
0: carry. That was the first time all season I feel like I've seen Virginia Tech running backs other than Coleman Fox make the unblocked hat miss. And this is something that we've talked about here on the podcast is that Tech's running backs have not been able to do that consistently. And we mm-hmm. saw Jalen Holston you know, make a spin move on a guy in the open field. We saw Deshaun McLeese juking guys around the line of right. scrimmage. Tech needs more of that.
2: You saw it against Duke with Deshaun McLeese And Fuente, this is when Fuente first started talking about he needed a running back to make the free hitter miss. Is when McLeese's touchdown run against Duke, he made the free hitter miss and went right by him for a touchdown. And that's when Fuente started talking about it. He's like, you know, we need more of that from from our running backs. And well, see, then
1: recruit it, Justin. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, and you've got, uh, you, you know, McLeese had nine carries against Miami, uh, and then he only had one, I think, against Georgia Tech. Uh, apparently he was battling some concussion syndromes. But, uh, you know, in back-to-back games where he's been able to be the primary ball carrier, he's made that free hit or miss.
1: Yeah, the, the only problem with McLeese is that when he, most of the time, you know, there was an exception against West Virginia that I can remember, most of the time when he gets hit, he's going down, mm-hmm. and, and his forward progress stops because he's not a big guy. Right. So, you know, there's, there's a little give and take there.
0: I made a tweet on Saturday that I thought um, – would maybe catch a little bit more traction because I I think it's a a, it's not quite a hot take but I think it's an interesting take I think Greg Stroman is the most underrated player on this team and I don't think it's close yeah Yeah. I I, I mean he's he's had he's had game-changing plays in recent weeks he's been a great punt returner all season Uh, he's locked down that half of the field I, I really feel like tech fans Uh, really undervalue what he's brought to the team this year
2: yeah i would agree with that i think opposing quarterbacks have a quarterback rating of like 39.5 when they throw at stroman this year Mm. which is pretty incredible if you think about i mean that is flat out dominant i think that's best in the country uh and your key stat i'll write this in in my game preview for uh for wednesday but uh The key stat for Virginia Tech this year is the number 16. That's the number of tackles Greg Strowman has. That's the number of tackles Brandon Faison has. I mean, you have cornerbacks who only have 16 tackles. You know, that just means teams aren't completing a lot of passes on those guys. And only two teams this year have completed over 50% of their passes uh, against Virginia Tech. And most of that has has come over the middle. Quite honestly, I, I mean, the side of the field is pretty much getting shut down by the Virginia Tech defense.
0: It seems like the free safety position has been a a, a bit of a concern this year. Obviously, mm-hmm. last year w- with Chuck Clark, you didn't feel like the Chuck was going to let you know plays get by him and things of that nature. But we know that Terrell Edmonds was playing injured for a lot now of the we year. Know that, yeah. yeah, we know that now, obviously, because Virginia Tech doesn't like to share injury news. Uh, but And then now you have Mook Reynolds, who is playing that spot. He's hurt now. We don't know if he's going to play this week. Um, even when Terrell was healthy, he was still learning the position. He's yeah. he's never, you know, he didn't have that experience playing there last year. Uh, have you guys seen a defense under Bud Foster that's given up so many plays in the middle of the field? Well, because well, uh, I, I don't remember Stanford 2010. That
1: 2003 defense gave up plays in the middle of the field, field. in all the front of the field, the side of the field, all the back all of the over field. the field,
2: man. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, there there is precedent, and, and here's the thing. It's not like teams are getting a bunch of big plays over the middle. It's not like Tech is getting gashed. There's but still one every, statistic. well, that's but I mean, there, I think there's a certain amount of big plays that you're going to give up just because. And like we just talked about, Tech is so dominant on the edge. Then where else they're going to be at? They're going to be. You're going to take more shots over the middle of the field simply gonna, because you can't complete a pass on the outside because Tech's corners have been so good this year. Uh, so I, I I think when you consider the injury. To Terrell Edmonds. Um, got Reggie Floyd as a first year starter, although to be fair, Reggie's really only given up one big play, and that was when he missed that tackle against Miami, and that was actually yeah. on the sideline. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I, what's remarkable about Tech's free safety situation is on that goal line stand, they were down to their fourth free safety that they've used this year. Terrell Edmonds was their starter, he got hurt. Divine Diablo was playing a lot at free safety earlier this year with Terrell moving over to Rover, but then he got hurt against ODU, he missed the season has been out ever the, since yeah. yeah and you start strowman and his first career start at free safety and then he gets knocked out of the game so you're down to khalil ladler that on that last uh on that goal line stand that's the fourth different free safety that virginia tech has used this year and ladler was a big part of that goal line stand
1: yeah he did a he did a real good job uh Close to the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. you know. We'll see if he winds up having a play back off the line of scrimmage how he does. So let's let's totally change the topic. You were talking about work in the middle of the field, and I was thinking about this today, and I wanted to ask you guys. Eric Kuma has established a pattern of catching stuff over the middle of the field mm-hmm. and not catching stuff on the <laughs> sidelines. Yeah. I know he's a big guy. Is there any possibility he could become a slot receiver in the future?
2: Uh I, I, I don't. Think so, but it's always possible. You know, right now it seems like Virginia Tech is putting has been putting a lot of slot type guys on the field this year. In any I, you know, even when like guys like Henry Murphy and James Clark line up on the outside, it's really been because Tech is just limited with bodies when it comes to outside receivers. Um, I, it's not outside the realm of possibility simply because you know I think starting next year with Hazelton uh, eligible, Damon Hazelton, the transfer from Ball State. Um, with Caleb Farley back, uh, Phil Patterson coming on, and then Kuma back as well. You know they to might the be that the freshman
1: it, can contribute. Correct.
2: Uh, you know Daryl Simmons, Turner- Trey Turner Simmons. coming in. Uh, Drake. D, uh, how do you pronounce? Julius. It? Julius. 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 There we go. Drake. Julius. There we go. Uh, you know who should be. Uh, a red he he shirt should freshman. be getting his his medical redshirt right, right, for this right. year. So, so you're talking five, six, seven potential outside receivers next year, and in the slot, you know you got Sean Savoy and C.J. Carroll. So it's possible, but. I think generally because of his speed and breakaway ability, I'd be more inclined to use Phillip Patterson in the slot than I would Kuma. Uh, and you know, we, we saw him break wide open over the middle the field, I believe, when he was lined up uh, as a slot. Who uh, Patterson? Yeah, Patterson. Yeah. Th- th- this past Saturday. So it's it's possible, but I I, I don't think it's likely know Tech is not going to line up one receiver at one spot the entire time. They're going to be primary positions. Cam Phillips, primary outside receiver. Sean Savoy, primary slot most of the time now. Although this past week against Pitt, I know on at least three of Cam's catches, he was lined up in the slot. So they started using him you up in the of slot that, yeah. so, some more this past year.
1: Was that because of Patterson being available? Was uh, he, that pro- that Probably helped. so. Yeah. Yeah. Probably
2: yeah. so. And I think that helped the Tech offense. What also helped the Tech offense was for two years in a row, Pat Narduzzi used a defensive game plan that I just did not understand. Last year, Virginia Tech had receivers who can go up and catch the jump ball and beat press coverage. So what does he do? he plays press coverage the whole game and and got burned because of it. This week Virginia Tech or this year Virginia Tech does not have receivers that can go up and beat press coverage and and run fades and things like that. So what does he do this year? He plays a lot of outside leverage to take away the fade route, which Virginia Tech can't complete anyway unless it's one of those back shoulder out routes and kind of leaves the middle of the field open, which if Virginia Tech does have a strength offensively this year, that's probably it. It just the game plan did, didn't make a
0: lot of sense to me, but I'll take it. Two things. Pat Narduzzi definitely is a questionable coach in my opinion. And the other thing is I just don't know if Kuma has the athleticism and the, the shift, shiftiness the shift and to play in the slot. Yeah. That that is a hallmark yeah. of a slot receiver. Is is not necessarily top end speed, but the ability to change direct, direction quickly and to generate separation quickly. Um I do think that he's kind of become a one truck pony at this point, that he's really good at beating press coverage and, and making ca- the the catches on the slant, which mm-hmm. is really what he's done. He can take a hit, too. Yeah, yeah, and he can. Although I do think that as he gets older, as he gets more experience on the outside, I think he will become a little bit more of a threat downfield. But you're right. He has really only been an impact player – on that kind of little that little slant route. The yeah, th- yeah, yeah, Third down plays special yeah,
1: three, yeah. three catches, all of them on third down, all of them for first down. Just so. like the
2: Boston College game all over again when I think he caught four passes yeah. and all of them went for first downs on yeah. third downs. What we got to remember about Kuma is he's only a true sophomore. If Virginia Tech had actually had wide receiver depth in 2016, he would have redshirted last year. And, you know, we'd be talking about, oh, he's a very young player. Well, guess what? He's still a very young player. Just because he got on the field yeah. and played special teams some last year doesn't mean he's any more experienced as a wide receiver than, than he would have
0: been if he if he had redshirted. So
1: Okay, so I derailed the conversation for about eight minutes. Let's <laughs> let's get back to what you wanted to okay, talk about. Okay, so
0: we didn't get your take on the on the Jester Wee catch yet, but I want to walk through that sequence. Pittsburgh's facing a fourth down from deep in their own territory. Yeah. Uh Tech's been good so far on, on this drive. And then Jester comes running over across the middle of the field wide open. Uh, nobody even in the vicinity. Well, Faison um, was there. Faison
2: was on him when he caught the pass. He just broke the
0: tackle. Yeah, yeah. So but, that would have been Faison's
2: seventeenth tackle. And then, and, then he, <laughs>
1: and then he ran over Mook. Yeah, um, and then
0: he and then he really just kind of bulldozed Mook Reynolds, uh, which obviously Mook ended up getting hurt on the play. Uh, Will, what's going through your mind there when when you see one of Tech's best players on defense, even though Mook is hurt, see him get bowled over there on the you know when the game's on the line.
1: Uh, we we knew Mook was hurt. We knew his play yeah. hurt, and uh, you know when when we ran him over, I thought, wow, it must be worse than we thought. And I'll bet you, I don't recall, but I'll bet you, as Jester Wee was running downfield, I looked at the scoreboard and started counting time and timeouts. Um, because you were thinking Tech had I said, to okay, score. how at much? That point. Yep, we're gonna have to come back down the field and score. How much time we got left? And then, uh, then they go through the long review, and they well,
0: first of all. Reggie Floyd makes maybe the play of the year. I mean, I, I, I would, to me, yeah. that is the most impressive play out of any Tech player that I've seen all season.
1: Oh, and it'll go down in history with with the Torian um, Gray. Um, Gray running down the Tiki Barber and Jimmy Williams running down Alvin Pierman. Um If you remember that, that was that the 2004 game. It was
2: the it was zero Jimmy to zero him. at halftime.
1: Jimmy made a flying horse-collar tackle that would be extremely illegal these days. Right. To, and, but it was a great and, play at the time.
2: And Tech held UVA to a field goal on that drive. Right. And so right. that I think that might have made the score 10-7 to 7 UVA or maybe even 3 Something to like nothing bad. UVA. Big play. But at yeah. that point, it was in the third quarter, and the game was still in doubt because, like I said, it was 0-0 at halftime. Tech went on to win 24-10.
1: And I think the same thing happened in the, in the 96 game that we're talking about. That was the first the, drive of the game. Yeah, and I think they held UVA to a field goal because of it.
2: They did because uh, it was 26-9 to final score. UVA got UVA got up 3 right. nothing in that game, led 9-6 to at halftime, and then Virginia Tech beat them 26-9. to
1: So, you know, after that, yeah, great play by, uh, by Floyd. After that, man, I'm thinking, I'm remembering, you know, I'm a Dolphins fan, and I remember a time where um, when Dan Marino was in his prime, the Jets were parked on the Dolphins' five-yard line. And they had about, you know, Dolphins had about a minute and two or three timeouts left. And Don Shula ordered his defense to stand up and let the Jets score. And they scored and took the lead because Shula knew if he had a minute and two or three timeouts, Dan Marino could go down and win the game. And Marino did. Um, So all this has gone through my mind. And. So I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping they actually let the touchdown stand because it's rare to stop a team four times inside your yeah team yeah it really is
2: but it's also rare for the Virginia Tech offense to drive the length of the field well, and yeah
0: I mean I was gonna say Tech's defense has been their best unit all season long yes
1: yeah, so, well so and and then they they you know they they rule that it's not a touchdown and they line up and Pitt doesn't even run the play till those forty two seconds left in <laughs> the clock and oh man. I mean, I hate to be this way, but the whole time I was just standing there looking at the clock, going, "Oh, they're gonna score, and there's not gonna be any time left." And you know, fortunately, that turned out to be wrong.
0: That last play, so so so. First of all, on third down, they were trying to run up to the line very very quickly. They had run a play on second down, didn't go anywhere. They quick snap it on third down, and I thought just wasted a play on that throw to Gregstrom. And there was there was not a chance that they were going to complete that that kind of fade ball. That well, they had to good, stop the clock. Yeah, But yeah. it
1: was good coaching from the standpoint that, yes, they had to stop the clock, so absolutely you call a pass play. Number two, that's your leading receiver and a guy who's made the play of the game, so throw it at him. Uh, they didn't have enough time to calculate who was guarding him and see that it was Greg Stroman. I mean, let's, let's just go to our best guy with the best play. So it wasn't a bad piece of coaching. It's just Stroman. Well, they, they
2: should have known it was Stroman because Tech plays right corner, left corner.
1: No. but the clock was ticking,
0: <laughs> yeah, you know yeah so so then on fourth down obviously they run that kind of off tackle run to the to the left. Uh, Trayvon Hill shoots the, the the gap on the back side. Uh, doesn't make the tackle but really makes the play in terms of forcing Darren Hall outside of his his, his running lane. Uh, and then at that point, there were four to five guys just waiting for him. And then we obviously know how it ended from there. You
2: know, I, I bet I haven't read a Pitt message board. But if I did, I'm sure there would be Pitt fans questioning the play calling. But, you know, if you look at the way Pitt has run the football against Virginia Tech over the last four or five years, I mean, they've gashed Tech on the ground in a lot of those games. And Darren Hall, coming into Saturday's game, had rushed for almost 500 yards and eight touchdowns in the last three, three weeks. And you've got a true freshman quarterback. So if Pitt played to their strength. The problem is Virginia Tech had dominated their strength the entire game. I mean, Virginia Tech's defensive line just – just, and linebackers, because I think, thought Matupuaka and Edmonds played their best games of the year against the run. They just dominated the pit offensive line the entire game. So it was one of those situations where, yeah, they're probably going to get the touchdown, you're thinking. But in hindsight, I could see how they didn't, because Virginia Tech crushed them up front for that entire game.
0: Well, how cool was it for you to watch – basically the entire team including greg stroman and cam phillips and dion Newsom, running through the you know running the, the length of the field the, the crowds cheering and then obviously andrew matupuaka who has i mean let's be honest he's caught a lot of flack for for his play um amongst the tech fan base but he's a redshirt senior uh he, i feel like he's had a pretty good year so far and he just kind of broke down there at the end
1: it's a I mean it's a great moment you know it's uh if if you've and coaches will tell you the same thing um so let me, let me gather my thoughts here because i got several things I'm thinking about at once. Uh, you know, I live here in Radford. I've lived in Radford for 20 years. And Radford High School competes for state championships in, in a lot of sports. And for me, as, as a fan, it's really not about, oh, we have to win this this year for me. I see the kids, and the kids rotate through the programs. And I've seen kids that have won state championships, and they can carry that memory with them the rest of their lives. I've seen kids that have lost state championships my son ran cross country the year he was a freshman. They lost the state championship in cross country by 2 points, 77 to 79. They never got that chance again. They were never that close again. That was his chance. My daughter as a freshman won a state championship in cross country by 1 point over Auburn. And and Radford's moved up to AA and there's a school they're never going to compete with up there called Maggie Walker. That was her one chance in ninth grade to have something she could talk about the rest of her life. Does it matter? No, not really. Who cares if you win a state cross-country championship in ninth grade? It's just something for you to talk about and to kind of carry with you. you know? It's your Al
2: Bundy it's, moment for the rest of your life. It's not
1: going to get, get you into college. It's not going to get you that first job. You know, None of that stuff. But So you start looking at the kids, and you want them to have those moments. You want them to have the things that they will remember and talk about. Because I remember when we were in high school, Radford, way back thirty years ago, Radford was really good in basketball. Phil Williams, a guy who went on to play for tech, was their best player back then. And I watched those guys lose state semifinal games and I'm you know, we're all in our early fifties now and we occasionally still talk about that stuff, you know, and, and I talk to them about it and they're like, Oh man, you know, I remember that guy, Tony Dallas from Martinsville, yada yada yada. <laughs> but you see the point I'm making that it's all about, you know, This is Andrew Matuapalaka's last year. We probably really won't be talking about him 10 or 20 years from now, but he'll be able to have that memory and hold on to that memory of being part of that stand and winning his last game in Lane Stadium. It's really cool.
0: Dion Newsom, too. He's a guy who's obviously had an up-and-down career here at Virginia Tech, had his own very publicized personal Mm -hmm. incident off the field. He's switched positions three to four times offense and defense. Uh, He's been a special teams contributor all year. He was in on that play as well, making that stop and – you know, it, it, I mean, you, you, you do have to divorce yourself from the situation and, and look at it from an outsider's perspective, but to just remember that these are kids. These are 18- to 22-year-old kids, and it's a really cool moment for them in terms of, you know, winning that kind of game, even if it wasn't a pretty game.
2: Now that Virginia Tech has won the game... I'm glad it ended that way, right? right? <laughs> no, the only things I would change is Mook and Mahota getting hurt on that play.
0: Yeah, because yeah. we, we yeah. haven't even talked about now, that now, yet. If, Both...
2: if, that, if I could do it over and have those guys stay healthy, yeah, it would end exactly like it ended. Uh, well, actually, if we could do it over, I'd win the game 40 to nothing. You know, that would be preferable. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I I do think it was a cool ending for those seniors and everything like that because, you know, 20, 30 years from now when they're telling their, their kids or grandkids or whatever about it, uh, they're they're not going to be talking about the first I don't know how many plays Pitt ran in the game. They're not going to talk about. They're going to the, forget the, all that. They're they're not going to talk about the first sixty four plays in the game or the first sixty plays in the game. They're going to talk about the last five. You know the big play that Pitt had and then uh, and then the four plays that they stopped him afterwards.
0: Let's go ahead and, and put a bow on the Pittsburgh game and move on from that. I do think it's time for Will and I to maybe have some comeuppance here. Last season Virginia Tech beat UVA fifty two to ten. Yes. Uh, and I believe I was very vocal about saying I felt like the rivalry was almost over at that point.
1: And I think I shaped my whole Monday Thoughts article about, to about say, how the rivalry was over.
0: Yeah, well, uh, guys, it may not be that way at this point. Yeah. So UVA is bowl eligible for the first time since I don't remember. Uh, they look relatively good. They had Miami on the ropes for, uh, I believe, the entire first half and maybe even part of the third quarter last week. Um, you know, the, the, the fact still is is that Tech has won this game 13 in a row. They've won 17 of the last 18 in this series. But I do think that we have to give, and I know I have to give Bronco Mendenhall a lot of credit for what he's done in year two because I was one of those guys after year one saying, man, I don't see any improvement out of this team at all.
1: Uh, they looked so incredibly incompetent They last really
0: did. Year. I mean, they, they, were, they, they had Kurt Benkert, who obviously was dealing with a little bit of a shoulder injury last year. But they played three different quarterbacks in that game.
1: Often on the same possession. Yeah, they, had,
0: they had Benkert in there, who was the starter. They brought in Matt Johns in certain situations. And then they brought in Connor Brewer, the poor redshirt senior who never played. And his only play of the day was a sack fumble. So, I mean, it, it did feel like there was a level of incompetence under UVA last year. But it doesn't get that – I don't feel that vibe anymore.
1: No, and, and I don't remember exactly what Mendenhall said after that game, but he, he basically, uh, I don't remember his exact words, but he, he basically said, he finally admitted in his last press conference at the very end of the year, because, of course, they weren't going bowling. He said words to the effect of, I, I misjudged what this team needed when I came in at the beginning of the year. And I remember listening to that and thinking, huh, he, uh, he's right. He misjudged it, and he, he was doing Bronco Mendenhall things, that were not what that team needed, and and I and I thought you know he's had a chance to reflect, and he's going to change what he's doing and do something different. Now I don't follow their program closely enough, but clearly he's doing something different because they're they're six and five. They've played very well at times. They flattened Boise State at Boise State.
0: That was one of the more shocking uh, games that I've I've seen this year. Obviously, you know you look at like Ohio State, Iowa, where Iowa was a twenty point underdog. <laughs> they went by out. thirty. Uh, but, yeah, even though Boise State is not as good as they normally are this year, I, I don't know if they're still ranked, but they cracked back into the top 25 they did. somewhat recently. They went on a long winning streak And, and after UVA that, went thought. up there and just embarrassed Boise State. Yeah. So they're, they're really something that you, you cannot you know, overlook it, them at this it point. It was
1: Boise State's worst home loss since the early 90s, I think, You know, which I guess they were an FCS team back then. Um, so that – you know, don't don't trivialize that victory. It was a big win. Um, so they're 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 doing they're they're doing a lot better. You know, now I I don't know about their recruiting. I don't know how their future looks. When 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 I put the roster card together, I see a lot of key seniors for them. So who knows where they're going from here? But at this point in time, they're a lot better than they were last year.
2: Uh, you know, a cu- couple thoughts. First of all, on Bronco, you know, when he first came in last year. Goodness, you could you could listen to that guy talk for an hour, and at the end of it, you didn't know what the heck he was talking about. Yeah.
0: Kind of so, like Buzz Williams. Kind of like Buzz
1: Williams, sometimes. <laughs> and kind of so, like Al Groh. Yeah, yeah, right,
2: know? yeah. And uh, so I don't know if he's dialed that back this year and and focused on uh on more so on the football aspect of things rather than his best Matt Foley motivational speech uh type type deal. Not doing the Butch Jones
0: but, champions at life kind of kind of exactly.
2: But uh, I, I think they he's gotten probably the most out of his talent that he possibly could have this year. They're at the point of their rebuild where you don't know what UVA team is going to show up on a week to week basis. Uh, you know, they can go on the road and flatten Boise state and then come back at home and get flattened by Boston college. And, you know, Boston college has turned into a decent team this year, but they don't have the talent level to be flattening anybody. You know, I mean, what they did to UVA, uh, was surprising because the score was so out of hand, and, uh, forty-one to ten, is that forty-one right? to ten or yeah. something like that? But then they flatten Florida State too, so maybe not. But Florida State's not
1: good. It, it, things can snowball against Boston College. Yeah, yeah. They can run the football, yeah, line, right, and, yeah. and they, they do have good defensive ends, right. you know.
2: Yeah, so they can snowball a little bit. But you know, on the whole, you know they have, they've lost four of their last five now. Now let's not let's not paint them as world. Yeah, winners. yes,
0: of course, yeah.
2: Um, and they've gotten a little bit lucky. They fumbled nineteen times this year and only lost five of them. Binkert's fumbled 10 times and only lost two of them, whereas last year Virginia Tech fumbled 10 times in the first two games and lost nine of them. I mean, there's a degree of randomness and luck when it comes to fumbles and things like that. Um, But, you know, I mean, UVA's capable of winning the game this Saturday. Um, Like I said, I think they've operated probably as efficient as they possibly can this year considering their talent level uh, and the fact that that staff's only in their second year. And, you know, somewhat of the luck factor with the fumbles and everything like that. So, uh, we'll just have to see how it goes.
1: Well, one, one of the things that ought to, you ought to be concerned about if you're a Virginia Tech fan is somebody on our message board made a really good point. They said the last time UVA beat Tech, UVA had a clear advantage at the uh, quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Matt Schaub was a senior. Brian Randall was a, was a junior and really didn't hit his stride until about a third of the way through his senior season. Right. Um, UVA also had Heath Miller, and they took that Matt Schaub-Heath Miller uh, connection, and they, and they completed 13 passes between the two of them that day. Mm-hmm. And they really worked that to their advantage. Yep. And Tech was bottoming out in terms of discipline, not talent, yeah. but discipline. You know, Tech did not have a disciplined team at the end of the 2003 season. Now, if you, if you fast forward to now, Josh Jackson is struggling. Making up the roster card today, he fell below sixty percent mm-hmm. for the first time this season. He's at fifty nine point nine percent. So he's he's injured. He's uh, struggling a little bit, relatively speaking. Uh, Binkert is, I think, Binkert has twenty five to touchdowns. Eight. Yeah, twenty five to eight and Josh. Twenty five
0: touchdowns, eight interceptions. He's completing just over sixty percent.
1: Right. So I'm not going to say they've they've got a huge looming advantage at the quarterback position but they do have a good uh, quarterback who's playing well this year. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech isn't bottoming out in terms of discipline or effort, but guys are dropping like flies. They're losing, you know, a, a player a week. So that segues into the news about uh, about Vinny Mahota, that none of it's official yet, but his family has gone on Facebook and said that uh, he's torn an ACL and is out for the rest of the year. Uh, that's what we've also heard, you know, via back channels. So, you don't know if Mook's going to play. I mean, guys are just dropping like flies, and uh, and some of the guys that are on the field are gimpy. Uh, Trayvon Hill is <laughs> just watch it. Just go back and watch a game and, and watch the uh, Pitt game and watch him. He's pulling up lame on almost every play, yet he yeah. still gets through the line against Pitt and makes a key play late in the game. So these things are all building to a head. These are the things you ought to be concerned about. But, of course, you know, Tech's got some areas where they can have the advantage.
2: I think Virginia Tech did not have any business making that goal line stand when you consider a lot of things. They were down to their fourth free safety. Uh, They're only starting defensive end left in the game. Had gotten banged up pretty bad against Georgia Tech. It was limping the whole game. And your other defensive end is, is your backup who had just come into the game because Mahota had gotten hurt. I mean, a lot of things were going against Virginia Tech right there. But, uh, and they got through it just based on sheer toughness and discipline. Yeah.
0: Before we you know, really start digging in deep into the UVA preview, there's a couple more things I want to talk about with UVA and, and what they're doing under Bronco Hall. What's their ceiling? What is the ceiling of UVA under Bronco? That's that's a really good
2: question. Uh, well, theoretically speaking, w- why should UVA's ceiling be any different than Stanford's? Theoretically speaking, from an academic type of institution. Yeah. Now that being said, uh, you know I I like Charlottesville, but I I think from a location standpoint, you know, Stanford's probably a little more attractive, and I still think Stanford. You know, they've got so much money. I mean, Stanford wins the wins the cup uh, directors cup yeah. every year for for best overall sports. The
0: thing about the the location of Charlottesville though that I think is really beneficial to them mm-hmm. is that it's literally in the middle of the state basically. I mean you're you're near no, you're near northern virginia. You're literally right next to Richmond. Yeah, you, you're not far from Southwest Virginia, and you're not far from the seven five seven Maryland. Uh, you know exactly, I mean, you're not. You're, yeah, you're not far from the Maryland the, area, Raleigh Durham. Right, yeah. right,
2: exactly. I mean, the, there's so many. The main recruiting areas in this region are all within the easy driving distance of uh, of Charlottesville, um, and you know you have to drive through Charlottesville and then keep driving two and a half hours to get to Blacksburg. Wasn't there, a, a, seven, uh, seven guy.
0: Wasn't there a, a kind of a famous uh, offhand quote from Coach Cav where he was talking about how we need to get kids to keep driving yeah, on, on yeah. pass on 64 to I, get on to 81? You're
2: right. And, and that's an accurate statement, especially, you know, when he came into Virginia Tech in the mid-1990s when that was still a, a big recruiting battle. Um i I I've, so it's hard to say exactly what their ceiling is I always said when Virginia Tech was dominating the state of Virginia and recruiting and getting most of the top prospects, I always said, man, imagine what we'd be doing if the Virginia Tech campus was located in Richmond and we were even closer to these guys
1: well, not only that but attendance right you know
2: uh, oh, tech would have instead of expanding their stadium to sixty five sixty six thousand they would have expanded it to 80,000.
1: eighty thousand seventy five or Richmond. eighty yeah. yeah. So, uh, where, where are we leaving this discussion? I had some thoughts going through my head. Um, the ceiling for UVA, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that they've got a great recruiting staff in place. Right. You know, they,
0: um, they are not recruiting well this year, and they haven't really recruited well uh, in, in, in quite some time. I mean, they, they
1: didn't recruit well in
0: Broncos' first year. Uh, this year is not really much better. Uh, so, so it's not like they're making a ton of strides on the recruiting trail, like maybe L- Mike London did early in his tenure at UVA mm-hmm. or maybe uh, like Maryland has under uh, D.J. Durkin so right. far.
1: So if, if they were to hire a really crack recruiting staff and may- maybe Durkin has put one together, I haven't, I haven't studied him, but I know they're, re- they're recruiting a lot better. If they were ever to put together a really crack recruiting staff and really maximize what they go- got going on in Charlottesville, who knows? Um,
2: Al Groh had a crack recruiting staff.
1: He did, especially for that time period. You know, he, he was doing some stuff that I don't want to call it innovative, but he did get the leg up there for a while in some of the stuff he was doing. Um, one of the difficulties with the UVA program right now is that the, the fan interest is – it hasn't just cratered. It's cratered and then gone even deeper. It's gone underground. Um, well,
2: you know, there's <laughs> six – That's a great way to put it. at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Oh, they, man. <laughs> they're,
1: they're six and five. They got a really good shot at Virginia Tech this year, but I think there's still plenty of tickets available. You know, and that just would not have been the case. Well, you go back to the twenty eleven game when uh, UVA was a decent team. I don't think they were ranked.
2: Oh, well, that game that, was for the Coastal Division Championship,
1: so they weren't ranked, but they were close I to think, it. I
2: think in one poll they might have been twenty fourth or twenty fifth. Or I was like watching that.
1: clips of David Wilson's stiff arm and that guy I the, goal that the other day day too, yeah. yeah, you could see the ranking next to Tech's name, but I couldn't see one next to UVA's name. But I did look around, and the stands were full, mm-hmm. and that was only six years ago right you know, so
2: 2007 was for the acc champion or yeah. excuse me the coastal division championship so the stands were full two years ago but that's because it was at least 50 percent tech fans in there it was, and it was it frank, was beamer's, frank last, beamer's last last regular, regular season, season game. game sure so it'll be that's one of the interesting things i i'll, I'll want to see about about this coming saturday is, is or friday what the crowd's going to be like it's the day after thanksgiving it's not frank beamer's last regular season game um uva fans know they're better but you know let's face it it's going to take for the for, to really get their attendance back to what it used to be uh it's going to take multiple seasons probably and, 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 yeah
1: and tech fans bailed this past weekend uh, there were tons of empty you seats know at the uh, right there were a lot and the weather was good by the way the you weather blaming it on the weather.
2: yeah there were a lot of uh, a lot of factors going to that pit obviously didn't sell out their allotment of tickets um the, the individual game seats that sold out for like UNC and ODU did not get sold and the students went home a day early for Thanksgiving I mean yeah. the students were not there and those that that were there left at halftime like like they so seemed to be doing how it.
1: heavily are they going to invade Charlottesville I mean there'll be a good UV VT uh, presence sure. there but, but it's
2: not going to be like it was two years ago. no
0: last question I want to hit on really quick here does does Tech need UVA to be somewhat good to have a good rivalry because they obviously don't have a really good rivalry right now we've and we've kind of uh hit that uh, hit that topic a lot but just really quickly how good does tech really need uva to be in order for that to generate some fan interest
1: i I know people don't want to hear this but if you just look at you know frank had to gun for for george welsh on the field and off the field in recruiting the two schools don't even really compete in recruiting all that much yeah
0: uva doesn't recruit a lot of the guys tech's recruiting anymore
1: as far as fan interest we've we've kind of shot that horse knocked it down and kicked it a bunch um that we missed the the intensity of the rivalry with uva the way it was in in the in the 90s in particular and to some extent in the 2000s i don't know how important it is to fan interest um overall uh my take on virginia tech fans is that if they're not winning a coastal championship or, or winning an ACC championship, they're getting a little quick to tune out. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't make them unique. This is going on all across college sports where the tickets are so expensive and the investment is is in the thousands of dollars yeah. if you just want to get in the stadium. It really is. If you're not winning, your fans are quick to bail on you. You go back and look at the Boston College attendance, for example, in the 90s and stuff like that. They used to bring a decent amount of fans in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They were better then, but, you know, it's just – it's it's really difficult to fill your stadium anymore.
2: It is. And you know, I understand the individual game tickets for Virginia Tech that didn't get sold, those that didn't get sold to, you know, season ticket holders. What I don't get is why, I mean, there were large swaths of seats in the in the season ticket sections in the west stands that I know got sold to season tickets where just nobody was there. So I don't understand why if you buy season tickets, you plunk down the money for season tickets and then you just don't come. I'd go if I had season tickets. All I, I
1: get it early in the year when when it's like you go up to RFK to see him play West Virginia, sure. and then it's home game, home game, home game. You hadn't had a game, home, home game,
2: game since Duke. You, you know this is the last game of the season. Uh,
1: so this, the Duke attendance was better, and it was pouring rain was that day. And, rain. and it was Duke. Yeah, this is Senior <laughs> Day.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Your last time to see the team play until next year, and and a lot of people just 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 didn't show up. Uh, I mean, if I if I had if I had already paid for the tickets. I'd go. Sure. Yeah. I I don't know. Uh, Now, this is just me. I shouldn't be this critical because it's a lot easier to criticize your own program because you're so close to it and you might not pay a lot of attention to uh, other programs. But, you know, students are just so quick to leave games these days. I I mean, I sit in Section 3, so it's tough for me. I can't look above my head and see what the crowd's like uh, above me. I, I didn't see that. I couldn't tell until after I got home and watched highlights after the game. But man, they, there were no students there, uh, particularly particularly for the second half. The
0: the north end zone, um, at best, was probably seventy percent full. Right, and, and, and then and then after halftime, it got probably about half.
2: I, right, right. I, I get it. Some people go home for Thanksgiving. Well, they all gonna go home for Thanksgiving and things like that. But you know, they went home for Thanksgiving in two thousand six, two thousand. Even up to like 2011, 2012, they also had Thanksgiving break, and guess what? They stayed for games. They're just not doing it now.
1: It's it's, it's a it's a touchy thing. Uh,
2: well, and and I bring this up to say that it, that's it's not just at Virginia Tech. I was reading on the Clemson message board this this year, uh, before the Tech Clemson game, and there was a big thread on their boards about. Why are students leaving early? Why is the student section half empty for, for, for a part of games and things like that? And that's Clemson, a team that just won the national title. So this is an issue everywhere, and it's going to be interesting to see how that affects attendance and donations 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Where's the money going to come from? Uh, UNC is already talking about they're they're taking out capacity of their state. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Um, we've geez. even heard rumors of Tech adding box seats, to the east stands and taking out seats to do it because let's face it, as time goes on, you're not going to need that capacity. I think more. you're
1: going to see a trend of of stadium capacity actually being reduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't heard the UNC story, what's capacity on their stadium? Sixty thousand. Sixty thousand. Um, they're converting the bleachers to chairbacks, right? Uh,
2: something like that. And in
1: so doing, I think their capacity is actually sixty-five since they did that uh, okay. that end zone expansion. They're losing close to ten thousand seats. They're going from sixty-five down to fifty-five. Uh-huh. By converting their bleachers to chair backs. And, and we rag on UNC's attendance all the time mm-hmm. because they just don't fill their place up. And when I read that article, I thought, that's really smart. Yeah, it is. Make the experience better for everybody who's actually coming. Right. And guess what? Those 10,000 seats pretty much aren't getting used, so get rid of
2: them. Right. You've got 10,000 seats that, that aren't being used. Um. So take them out. Put in some suites because UNC fans, you know, got they're, their big money. donors have plenty of money. They'll sell out the suites. Of course, just uh, so our
1: seats, are suites, part of the deal. What they're uh, doing, I, I, know, I, guess, I know it's chair back,
2: or, or maybe I, I don't know. But but for whatever chair back seats they have, you know, maybe they have club access. They'll sell those just because there's enough big donors at, at, at UNC that have plenty of money that they'll buy them, e- even if they don't come to games. But there's not enough regular UNC fans that enjoy going to games enough to fill up ten thousand.
1: So yeah, so these, I wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if the long term future of Lane Stadium is that those north end zone bleachers are going to disappear. You know, uh, But what would you put there? I don't want to say maybe nothing, because that would be foolish, but maybe some well, luxury see,
2: boxes. Uh, see, that's, you take away the student culture of the North End Zone. You, Except for this past week, you know, you see st- the the North End Zone is like 125% capacity. Yeah, they all crammed you, you, down You, you there. see empty sections of, of the East Stands in the student section, and that's because all of them have gone down to the North End Zone. What they I need just hope to it do, doesn't collapse one day.
0: What they need to do... Inside Lane Stadium is they need to take away all of those student sections in the east in the east and south stands, because students aren't sitting there like Chris mentioned. They're all you know just clouding into the north end zone, and then they need to make the north permanent. They need to make it a permanent structure so it's a lot safer and you can handle maybe a, a few more students in that section. Because you're right, and, students, and this is a
1: guy talking who was a student two years.
0: Students ago. enjoy going to the north end zone. They yeah. really do. It's a it's a good it's a party atmosphere. And I'm telling you, for a big game, the North End Zone is a great place to be. Yeah. But if you if you keep having these large swaths of, of student sections in the East Stands and, and the in south. the South Stands, the South towers never going to fill, mm-hmm. and the East Stands are never going to fill. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, you know, if students, I think Tech has one of the highest allotment of, uh, of student tickets in the country, but if, if students aren't coming, then eventually you're going to take a couple thousand seats away from them and... Turn them maybe into big donor seats, club seats, what, where, where where that you can actually sell and make money.
0: This is what tech students are doing, and I don't want to I don't want to quote unquote rat them out because you know I, I don't have a problem with more students wanting to get into the north end zone, but people need to be aware that people really want to get in north end zone, and this is what they're willing to do. They all have if they if they have a, a ticket for east or south, they'll bring that ticket, and then they'll have their friends who have north end zone tickets. They'll copy that. And bring that as well. Mm-hmm. So then once they get inside the stadium, when they get to the ushers in the north end zone, they will show them the north end zone ticket, and they are allowed in. Right. It's, and th- th- that is the length that students are willing to go to to go to the north end zone. So why not make the north end zone kind of the student section, and that's it? We're, we're or maybe have very small student sections in the east and the south end zone. We're getting off track here. I just want to make one more Yeah, we point. are getting off track.
2: Castle Coliseum, you saw Virginia Tech put in bigger seats this year that decrease capacity, that can charge more for that seats and actually make more money, even though Castle has uh, fewer seats seats now than it did before. I think one mistake that they did do that, I mean, students have embraced the north end zone culture in Lane Stadium. Instead of putting those expensive seats actually in the student section, which they they did at the bottom. They did in the
1: first few rows. I think they
2: wasted their money. They should have ripped (laughs) out the seats and put up aluminum bleachers instead and actually sell that, the north end zone at Castle Coliseum or whatever and have those students banging on the aluminum seats
0: Can
1: the whole you game imagine it would have a been a better racket, atmosphere the racket with an opposing team yeah. shooting a free throw yeah. in yeah. front of a bunch of metal bleachers in front
2: of a bunch of metal bleachers <laughs> right that the students could embrace i mean they're they're bringing that north end zone mentality to the castle coliseum
1: chris, chris has been pushing this for years uh, folks
0: instead they gave him nice cushy seats
1: where they might
2: sit down and actually make less noise didn't they
0: <laughs> didn't they remove the cushions out of those seats aren't those just, uh, oh, just plastic yeah. only seats oh they're all just plastic only seats no
1: actually over over on the uh, in the alumni areas; those are padded. I, I, uh,
0: if I remember correctly, I, thought, okay. all, Maybe they didn't I thought all of the new seats were padded except those ones in the students. All section.
1: right, so that's something to look for next. Well, castle next. Uh, I, I don't.
2: I don't think they are. I don't think they're padded in the areas opposite the bench on that side. I think I went and sat in one um one one weekend after they I'm put him in i'm just going off of what or tom
0: Gabber told me who's a senior associate All right, here so next time i'm so in castle i, I don't look. know
2: but that beats my point put aluminum rip them out <laughs> put an aluminum bleachers for
0: next let's season. go ahead and move on to uv we've already touched on a little bit but i do want to talk rather quickly about kurt bankert still um he's definitely improved this year i mean last year we saw he his completion percentage was below 60 percent this year he's slightly above it he's had more yards this season uh, he's also has more passing attempts but he's completing more passes he's getting more yards he has more touchdowns and fewer interceptions mm-hmm. uh how important was it for Benkert just to really get another year in the system and and really just get another year of, of comfortability with this offense it seems like it was really important doesn't it and yeah it it also sure does.
2: seems like he has more weapons uh, this year they went out and got a couple of uh grad transfers to add to their offensive line and i think that solidified their their offensive line a little bit. Uh, they're still going to have 26 sacks this year, which which isn't great. But uh, but but you know, overall, they're a better offense. And you know, he's one of those guys. Sometimes it's hard to tell how talented a guy is because he's just not playing very well. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have looked at Kurt Binkert last year and thought NFL quarterback. Uh, I, I w- but this but year, I, I would I'd... have I would have just looked at the production and look at the results of their game. And I, I wouldn't have even examined him any further, but now, you know, you look at him and, and his arm, I think he's got a good arm. Uh, and he's, and with his stats, you know, I mean, he's in his size, he's probably a mid round pick right now is, is what I think most people. Well, I,
1: I watched, I don't remember which game it was. It wasn't the Boise state game, which I also watched, but I was watching one of their games in Scott stadium early in the year. And, and he was dropping some dimes. Yeah. He was making some accurate throws. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Think of the throw that Josh Jackson made to C.J. Carroll in the West Virginia game. Yeah, Baker yeah. was throwing those kind of passes. Yeah. That's a great
0: pass. Jordan Ellis is, is UVA's leading rusher, and he's really been the only consistent guy getting carries for, for the yeah. Hoos. Uh, 194 carries, 790 yards, averaging slightly over four yards per carry, and he's got six TDs. Chris, are you worried about Jordan Ellis at all being a, a factor against his defense? Uh,
2: you know, I, I was worried against Pitt. For a couple reasons, because Pitt's running game is so good, and because I thought Virginia Tech was banged up up front, but Virginia Tech still shut down Pitt. Uh, Again, I'm worried because Tech is banged up, and Mahota now seems like he's definitely out. Uh, But at the same time, UVA, I I was looking up at their uh, running efficiency stats today, and they're one of the worst rushing teams in the country from an efficiency standpoint, Hmm. so... I don't think the running game is going to be an issue, in particular because Binkert is not a runner. If, if you look at the last seven times Virginia Tech has lost, dating back to the start of last season, the opposing quarterback is averaging 20 carries and 94 yards per game. Uh, Binkert has minus 53 rushing yards on the season. So <laughs> he is a uh, non yeah, that's where Chris a hanging his hat. <laughs> that's what I'm hanging my hat on. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't really fear their, their running game, so to speak.
0: But I'm going to go on a limb and, and say that you do fear the receiving game a little bit, and you touched on that when you talked about Kurt Benker. Uh UVA has three receivers uh, that are really having solid seasons. Olamide Zacchaeus, uh, he's got 76 catches for 794 yards and five tutties. Uh, Donnie Dowling who's a guy I feel like he's been there forever at this point. Because uh, his name is Dowling. Because his name is Between Dowling. Between all their Dowlings, <laughs> I think they've had about 12 got, years worth he's of He's got 46 receptions for 614 yards and five TDs. But the name to watch might be Andre Lavron, who's a six foot three 225, 225 pound receiver, he only has twenty nine catches, but he's got six hundred and three yards receiving. Kind of like a an Andre Davis, nineteen ninety nine. He's, at, he's averaging over twenty yards of catch yeah, and, so, and he leads the team in seven touchdowns.
1: So Zacchaeus is your possession guy at ten yards a catch. Dowling is But even,
0: even Zacchaeus is is, is making plays downfield now. Plays. He, uh, out of the well slot. he yeah, he's
1: very dynamic and, and to get back to the rushing game.
0: He's dynamic? Are you Bud Foster now? <laughs> he's dynamic. <laughs> um
1: if you get back to the rushing game, yeah, Ellis is way ahead with seven hundred and ninety yards and Zacchaeus. Is, is second with only 27 carries, 182 yards, 6.7 yards per carry. So he, he's an explosive guy. Um, but, yeah, they uh, Baker has how many? He's got uh, how many touchdowns? 25, and nobody has more than seven. So he's spreading it around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not like last year where Gerard had however many he had and, and Isaiah Ford caught, was, was what, was 11, 11 almost 12, all of them, or 12? Th- yeah. Bucky
0: was catching a, a several too. Yeah. Uh, the, the UVA defense, at least statistically speaking, is average at best and and pretty below average at worst. Uh, if you look just at the basic stats, not the efficiency stats, they're 78th in scoring defense. They're 76th in rushing defense. They're 19th in passing defense, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, as of week 11, so before last week's uh, stats, those haven't been uh, accumulated yet for this one. But the athletic who tracks stop rate, they're 48th in stop rate. They're 49th in the S P Plus defensively. Yes, they are. Uh, but in, in recent weeks, they're allowing, in their, in their last five, they're allowing 38 points per game, and they've yeah. lost four of their last five. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the defense, which was somewhat impressive at the beginning of the year, is beginning to struggle.
2: Well, yes and no. From a point standpoint, things aren't pretty. But they've only given up over 400 yards in three of those five games. You know, I think they held Pitt to... 350 or fewer yards, yet gave up 31 points. So, some of this is all about field position. Binker threw a pick six last week against Miami, and, and that hurts things. Uh, so, I don't think their their defense is as bad as, as, as the point totals indicate over the last five weeks. In fact, I'm more worried about their defense than their offense. I, I think with, with them having a one dimensional quarterback, I think Virginia Tech's defense will play well this week. I, I, I worry more about. Virginia Tech's offense against
0: UVA's defense.
1: Will, do you share those concerns? Uh, you know, I think that's fair. Uh, I don't like knowing that they apparently have a pretty good pass defense. You know, so did Georgia Tech, right? Yeah. I mean, we didn't like the matchups there. Yeah, um, Georgia Tech was a terrible matchup on paper.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, Georgia Tech got crushed by Duke. I think, I'm think i starting to think Tech just played a terrible game again. Well, Virginia yeah. Tech just played a terrible but that, game that
1: That's a whole Georgia other Tech. discussion yeah, that we <laughs> <laughs> don't want to go off on a tangent. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those deals where just looking at Virginia Tech and looking at how their, their offensive production is declining and, and so many guys are getting hurt, I was really worried coming into this week. Now that we've started to mix some perspective about, about UVA in it, yeah, I can see how each team can win this game. Sure. yeah. You know? All
0: right, let's go ahead and move on to the over-unders portion of the podcast. And, guys, it's bad news for me yet again. Uh, I struggled last week. I went 0-2. So to just to kind of recap fully, heading into last week, Will was leading at 12-4. Chris was 10-6, and 6 and I was 9-7. and 7. The first over-under that we set was number of carries for A.J. Bush. We were kind of figuring that Jackson might be, you know, a little banged up still. Ted
1: Jackson was running the football a would, lot. And they would work A.J. Bush into the Missed game. Missed that one.
0: Well, the exact opposite happened, like Will said. A.J. Bush had two carries, and that was it. And that was only because J.J. had to come out of the game for a few plays. Yeah, that's right. Um, Chris rightly took the under. Will and I took the over. Uh, the second one was number of passing yards for Josh Jackson. Uh, obviously he had struggled in recent weeks I believe before this game. He'd only had a 200-yard game once in his last four. Uh, well he had 218 versus Pittsburgh and he could have had about 400. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so so when you go through the standings now Wills at 13 and 5, Chris is at 11 and 7, and I'm at 9 and 9 at this point.
1: So wait a uh, minute on the on the passing for Josh, Chris and I took the over and you took the under.
0: Uh, yes. Okay, right. Yes, so I'm at 9-9, nine and nine and I went 0-2, oh and, uh, and I'm quickly learning that I have no business picking these over and unders. But let's go ahead and move on to this week. Yet you're the one who makes them up. Yes, I am. <laughs> he makes them up because
1: they're hard, so he doesn't know which one to I'm, pick. Right. So he wants, you
0: know. So, so let's go ahead and move on to this one. The first one I want to do, and we kind of touched on it with UVA, is their offense really relies on these the, the number of big chunk passing plays and they, that they've had in recent weeks, and that's how their offense has gotten going in the last four or five games. And, and I think
1: Bud agreed with that. that yes. it was either Bud or Fuente Both. that said they're they're Both really yeah. they're really good at getting downfield yes. with the
0: passing. Yes, they are. So I, I want to set the number of twenty yard passing plays for UVA at three and a half because they're averaging uh, just over three of these plays per game for the season. But in their last three games, they've had thirteen of those plays.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so about gonna, 4.3 per game. So I'm going
0: to set games. it at three and a half. Uh, Will, we'll start with you since you're the leader still.
1: I'm going to go over. I think they'll I think they'll get one big one. Um, and I think they'll get three of the 20 to 25-yard variety where they barely just get over the 20-yard mark. So you won't really remember them after the game. It would not surprise me, though, if they did spring one really big one because, of, you know, there's so much uh, – so, you're going over here. We don't have yeah, to play I'm, free safety for Ted. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's, there's going to be some youth back there. Sounds
0: like it's going to be Khalil yeah, Labo y- y- at this point. It might. And, you
2: know, if Newsom's at whip, he struggled early in the game to tackle a slot receiver in space. And he's going so so to have be a short pass right, turned right. into a long Turn pass. into a long one. And, you know, you got Zacchaeus as their slot receiver. So, that could end up being a tough matchup
1: for Ted. So, so, I'm going over, not necessarily out of gloom and doom, just kind of, you know, being realistic about it.
2: I think there's a certain quota of yards and plays that are going to happen in a football game no matter what uh and i when i look at the Tex, tech's, tech's defense the run defense has been so good for the most part Tex corners have been so good this year uh where else is it going to come but over the middle Down so middle. I, I and i don't know where uva makes their big plays do they do them on the outside i know uh that the big receiver is an outside receiver, so I'm sure most of his come on the out. Andre LeVron, he's right, six foot three. Yeah, and see, I, I don't necessarily see him doing that against Tex Corners because Tex Corners have been so good about not allowing big plays this year with the exception of Alexander. Well, he could Miami. simply
1: – Greg Stroman's been playing great, but Lavron could just outsize it. Well
2: – yeah, but the Pitt receiver outsized him last week, and uh, and he didn't give up anything against that guy. No. So so we'll see. And it's
0: not like Laverne has a bunch of catches. Um, I come back
1: to that though is that Pitt was playing a freshman quarterback for most of the
0: game. That, that's correct. So that, that, anyway. that, that's correct. So are you going over or under? I I'm, didn't hear an over under there. I'm uh
2: yeah, and I'm still debating. Oh my goodness, Chris is out here uh, with all the all I'll, the analysis, I'll, and I'll go over because you okay. know I, I do think UVA will get their yards, but I don't think they'll consistently move it. But they've got to come from somewhere. So.
0: so Will and Chris are going to go over there. I should have gone under to try to make up. I'm some going points. to go. I'm going to go under because I All think right. it'll be three uh, in this game, and I think you'll see that in my. Prediction. I hope you're right. Uh, the, the next will be number, and this was a, an interesting one that, that you guys suggested that we do for this week: the number of carries for Virginia Tech's leading rusher in the game. In terms
1: of number of carries, not yards. Yes. Yes. So who's going to carry it the most for Virginia Tech and how many carries will he have? The yes.
2: average, by the way, is 12.36. Virginia Tech's top ball carrier per game on the season has averaged 12.36 yards per
0: so, game. So we're not having to pick the person, per se, because we know that that's really a crapshoot at this point. <laughs> uh, but the running back
1: wheel of destiny.
0: <laughs> but we are going to pick uh, the number of carries for their leading rusher. So we set it at 12 and because that mm-hmm. seems like it's kind of the average number. Uh, Will, we're going to go to you first again because you're leading.
1: I'm going to go over.
0: You're going to go
1: over. What uh, What do we know about Trayvon? You guys said he got hurt Trayvon, against Georgia Tech. Uh, Trayvon
0: was banged up yeah, against Georgia Tech. He was a very limited participant one in carry. practice last week. He got but one that, again, carry versus But, that doesn't Pittsburgh.
1: matter. It doesn't matter who's available. doesn't matter. What happened the week before, you know? I,
2: I Yeah, I'm going over two because – Man, just, you're making up no ground this I'm week. I'm not. I'm just going with a logical pick this week. When you look at Virginia Tech's running back situation right now, we don't know whether Stephen Peoples will play. If it's like the you know five of the previous six or seven games, he's, he's not. questionable. He's questionable. He's questionable. Right? Uh, we don't know whether Trayvon will play or how much he'll play if he does. And he's not
0: even listed on the injury report. And he's not even listed on the injury
2: report. <laughs> um, Jalen Holston, you know, he had 11 first half carries last week. Got hurt, I think, uh, on maybe his first carry the second half, and didn't play the rest of the game. He's got a knee issue. We don't again. We don't know what his injury situation is. He's not going to be on the injury report, guaranteed. Uh, Exactly. Um, Zach just. Coleman Fox got a carry in the second half last week out of no, necessity. Col-
1: Coleman got in the second quarter. Second, early was it second, second quarter. Second quarter yeah. Okay.
2: Well, he got one carry last week and it wasn't in garbage time. That was out of necessity because everybody else was hurt except for. And didn't get
1: tackled right around the line. He did not make that first guy right, miss for, uh, for once.
2: once. But uh but I'm going over because I just don't think Tech has a lot of options right now, or they might not have have a lot of options right now other than Deshaun McLeese.
0: I'm gonna go over as well. I do think you're probably gonna see a majority of the carries going with McLeese and Holston yet again, with possibly Trayvon mixing in there. Well, Ricky, uh,
2: you're either gonna make up
0: one or I'm either gonna make up one or spot. lose one <laughs> at this point. Behind. If I lose one, it doesn't matter because I think I'm I think I'm out of it at this point. All right, prediction time, fellas. Virginia Tech hasn't lost to UVA in 13 years. They've won 17 of the last 18 in this series, uh, but we all know Virginia Tech struggles, and we know that UVA's looked a lot better this year. Uh, Will I know we haven't done our game preview yet? Uh, at least because we are recording this on Tuesday. Uh, but give me a prediction for this game for Virginia Tech and UBA.
1: Hoagies are going to win it twenty-four to twenty-three. It's going to be extremely painful for Virginia fans. <laughs> twenty-four. To, are, are, I, I doubt it'll be another walk-off goal-line stand. Are you
0: but... <laughs> are you predicting a, a game-winning touchdown for the Hoagies?
1: I'm not going to get that fine a point out. It's okay. just going to be 24-23.
0: <laughs> okay, so 24-23. Uh, probably a
1: game-winning well. field goal from Brian Johnson. He's going to be the new, new hero.
2: This might be the third week in a row I've picked it, like 24-20 to Virginia Tech. Yeah. But that's what I'm
1: picking. It's the safe bet, man. Tech's not scoring a lot of points these days.
2: Yeah, I, I know. Um, I, I just think uh, th- there's a couple things I hang my hat on, and that's quarterback rushing, as I gave you the numbers earlier. I mean, Virginia Tech has not lost to a – uh, quarterback that doesn't run since Miami 2015. And I'm also hanging my hat on the luck factor a little bit. I mean, UVA has 19 fumbles this year and has only lost five of them. And meanwhile, Virginia Tech goes down to Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech fumbles a, Twice a on special teams and, and, and recovers both, and, both of them. Recovers both of them. So, you know, maybe the luck factor is uh, going Virginia Tech's way this week. So I, I'm banking on those two things.
0: All right, so I need a score. I said 24-20. Tw- 24-20, okay, yeah. I, I, sorry about that. I didn't That's okay. that. I'm gonna go 24-21. I think we're gonna have three Cavalier touchdowns, and it wouldn't surprise me if at least two of those are big chunk plays, because that's what UVA's done so far this week or this year. They did it a couple times against Miami, and and we all know that Miami's defense is pretty solid. I know that they gave up mm-hmm. a good amount of yards and in a couple chunk plays to Tech, but that defensive line's really good. So I do think that UVA will be able to complete some over over uh, Virginia Tech, but I don't think they'll be able to do it a ton. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this one. Uh, remember, uh, that this will be published Wednesday morning, so go read the game preview when that's published today. Chris Coleman will put that together. It's always a great piece of information to get you ready for this one. Um, obviously, we'll have full coverage from Charlottesville on Friday night. I will be in attendance as well. We'll have photos, a uh, recap, quotes after the game, game notes on, sun, or on Saturday as usual, uh, and we'll have full coverage for you on techsideline.com. Uh, But for Will Stewart, for Chris Coleman, and for Ricky the Blue, that's all the time we have for this one. Thanks for listening.